With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Rock. Today's story takes place on September 17, 2006. George W. Bush was in the middle of his second term as president, and the war on terror was starting to wind down. At this point in time, Saddam Hussein had been convicted and was awaiting his execution. Things were going pretty well in the United States, on the surface at least. But the autumn of 06 was kind of the beginning of the end for our booming economy. The housing market bubble was beginning to pop, and the Great Recession was right around the corner, although no one knew it yet. But for the teenagers living in and around the Coachella Valley, none of that really mattered. September 17th was a beautiful day with a high of 95 degrees and not a cloud in the sky. The Red Hot Chili Peppers' Danny California was on top of the charts, and cell phones were getting more and more popular. Lots of kids had them at that point. Text messaging was around, but not a lot of people were using the technology just yet. But for Becky Friedley and her friends, their first summer after graduating high school had come to an end. It was that awkward time between childhood and adulthood, when friend groups both expand and begin drifting apart. Some went off to college, some joined the workforce, some still lived at home while others leased out their own apartments. Being 18 and out of high school is a whole new world for most people, and Becky and her friends were no exception. When the day began, no one had any idea that it would be Becky Friedley's last. This is Season 12, Episode 2, Becky's Day. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From Something Else, The Marshall Project, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the complexities of this case is the number of victims. With three victims, it's extremely difficult to ascertain who was the intended target and who was collateral damage. Did the offenders come to kill Vicky or John or both of them? Did Becky walk in on the murders and was killed simply because she was a witness? Or was Becky the intended target and Vicky and John were killed as the witnesses? Or was this a family annihilation attack where all three of them were targeted? 
In all the scenarios I just mentioned, as you can imagine, each set of circumstances brings a different type of suspect to mind. And that's why victimology is such a critical step in the process. Unfortunately, at this point in the case, we have very little to work with in regards to Vicky and John. There's a lot of speculation, but no real hard facts available about them. The primary reason for this is because the investigators in 2006 seemed to have assumed that Becky was the target and therefore did little to no investigating into the victimology of her mom and John. And now, 15 years later, no one's talking. I tried to visit John's son Rob at his home, and I was turned away by the guard at the gate to his neighborhood after he called the house and informed Rob that I was there. Vicky, she had two other daughters, Tiffany and Drew. I've been able to track down email addresses for them, but no phone numbers. I've sent them both multiple messages, but I have no idea if those addresses are good or if they've even received my emails. Then there's Vicky's ex-husband, Ron, Becky's dad. Same story there. None of Becky's sisters or her father still live in the greater Palm Springs area, and none of them have publicly available phone numbers. I did, however, just this week fire off letters to each of them through snail mail, so I'll keep you updated if I hear anything back from them. But from what I've been told, I'm not super confident that they're going to want to be involved in anything that we're doing here. For now, I'll share with you what I do know about Vicki and John, and it's not much. Vicki lived in the house on Alpine Road since her ex-husband built it back in the 80s. She and Ron divorced in 1995, and she kept the house in the settlement. Since then, she seems to pretty much keep to herself, as is the case with most people who live in Pinion Pines. She worked at the Macy's down in the valley, and as far as I can tell, didn't have a whole lot of friends outside of work. I did actually speak with one of Becky's friends last week who told me that Vicky always seemed nice to her. She came to her house once or twice to meet her mother when Becky would come over to play as a child. The friend was actually Kim Ellis, Jim Ellis's daughter. To refresh your memory, Jim was Tim Summerlee's neighbor who followed him up to the crime scene on the night of the murders. Vicky doesn't seem to have had any financial problems. According to Becky's friends, she didn't have a lot of money, but she seems to get by. In her background checks, I don't see any indications of her ever being delinquent on her mortgages or any loans. In fact, she had just refinanced the house a few months before she was killed. The mortgage value at that time was $54,000. It seems like Vicky just lived a simple and quiet life up in the high desert of Pinion Pines. John moved in with Vicky in the late 90s. He was divorced and he did have some money problems. His records indicate that he had several tax liens amounting to around $15,000 when he died. That could mean a number of things, but all we know for sure is that he owed a lot of money to someone, and whoever he owed it to got a judgment from a court to put a lien on his tax returns. I've been told that John owed a lot of child support, and because of that, he didn't work a traditional job. He worked as a handyman for mostly cash in order to hide his income. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'll say that it does kind of add up with the tax liens. Typically, a tax lien is like a last resort. You see them when a judge first orders a person's wages to be garnished. Then if time goes by and the debtor isn't working so there are no wages, then the next step is to file a lien on real property. But John didn't own anything. It was Vicky's house that he lived in. So with no wages to garnish and no home to put a lien on, usually the next step is a tax lien, which again is what I see on John's records. There are no obvious risk factors with John and Vicky. John had some debt, but killing him doesn't get the creditor paid. 
Vicky seemed to just keep to herself. One thing that the police did look into back in the early days of the investigation was whether or not there might have been an angry criminal that was coming after them. See, Ron, Vicky's ex-husband, was a lieutenant at the sheriff's department. So there was this theory that possibly someone who he had arrested years before came back and didn't know that he actually lived there. So that's at least something to think about. Another theory that I've heard is that Vicky's ex might have been angry and jealous about Vicky moving another man into the house that he literally built with his own two hands. Now, to be honest, that sounds like a reasonable assumption. But when I looked into the records, I see that the house title was transferred into Vicky's name in 1995 after the divorce, 11 years before the murders, and John moved in with her shortly after that. So for that theory to be true, it would mean that Ron suddenly, more than a decade after the fact, became enraged at the idea of his ex-wife having her new boyfriend moved into the house. Personally, I think that if the divorce had happened within a year or two of the murders, then that theory might have some legs. But as it stands, I just don't think it's particularly reasonable to assume that Ron would develop a murderous rage about a situation 10 years later. And then on top of that, his own daughter dies in the process. The only other bit of victimology for the adult victims that I've been able to come up with is the fact that John was a pot smoker. Now, nowadays, that doesn't mean a damn thing, but in 2006, it was still illegal and therefore has to be noted as a risk factor. When you're smoking an illegal substance, that means you have to deal with criminals to get it, which does constitute a risk. And according to some of Becky's friends in the record, John would even smoke with some of the teenagers on occasion. That's well, not much, but it's something. So now let's move on to Becky. We actually have quite a bit of information about her, since the police immediately assumed that she was the intended target of the attack. To be clear, however, when I say quite a bit of information, that's really just compared to what we have for John and Vicky, which is basically nothing. The Riverside Sheriff's Department did interview several of Becky's friends, and that's where we get most of our information about victimology and timeline. So that's good. But what's not good is that the police never bothered to even interview the people that she worked with at Denny's until 2013, seven years after she was killed. And after you hear some of what's coming up next, you realize how big of a miss that was. But we'll get to that in just a bit. Anytime I begin an investigation, the early stages feel like following a trail of breadcrumbs. Find one person, that person will lead me to someone else, and so on and so forth. In this case, my trail to finding out more about Becky began with Carissa Farley, who you heard from last week. She knew the kids in Pinion Pines because she had kids of her own. That's how she knew Becky, and she also knows one of Becky's friends, Kim Ellis, who I mentioned earlier. Carissa was nice enough to pass Kim's phone number on to me, and the breadcrumbs began to fall into place. I texted Kim and asked her if she was willing to interview with me, and she graciously agreed. When I got her on the phone, Kim told me that she and Becky grew up together, just a couple streets away, and that they used to play together all the time when they were young. As they got older, they sort of drifted apart, but they had some mutual friends. Kim described Becky as full of life, fun, and always laughing and joking around. That's really all she could tell me. She didn't know anything about the inner workings of Becky's life when she was 18 years old. They just didn't really hang out anymore. But she did tell me that she could put me into contact with one of Becky's best friends at the time of her murder, Janelle Picard. As it turns out, Becky had two really close girlfriends that she was actually hanging out with on the day of the murders. 
One was Janelle, and the other one was another friend named Claire Ripito. Kim was able to give me Janelle's number, but unfortunately, the buck stopped there. Janelle answered my text and was very nice, but she declined to be interviewed unless Becky's family was also going to participate, which of course is absolutely reasonable, but you already know where we're at with the family. So I hit a dead end. But thankfully, both Janelle and Claire were interviewed on the day after the murders, and I have those recordings, which may actually be more valuable in understanding Becky and what she was doing that day than anything that could be said now, 15 years later. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The timeline of events in the game of telephone went something like this. Jim Ellis went up to the scene on Sunday night with Tim Summerlee. Jim is Kim's father, but Kim didn't live in Pinion Pines at the time. She had moved into an apartment down in the valley. Early on Monday morning, Jim called Kim and told her that Becky's house had burned down and that he thought that Becky had died in the fire. She said that he didn't give her any more details than that. She had no idea about the wheelbarrow or anything else, and I don't even know if Jim knew that. But Kim then called Janelle, who was one of Becky's best friends, and told her the news. Janelle then called Claire and filled her in. And then they called Javier Garcia, another close friend of Becky's. At the time of the police interview that you're about to hear, there were still a lot of unknowns. Janelle was still in a bit of denial, hoping that maybe Becky wasn't home. The police were doing a good job of keeping the details of the investigation under wraps. As far as anyone knew, no crime had been committed. There was just a fire, and Becky was believed to have died in it. I'm about to play a portion of Janelle's police interview from that Monday, Less than 24 hours after the murders. How long have you known Becky? I've, I mean, I first met her in probably like second grade, but we started really being friends in probably like sixth grade. Okay. And then it's been sort of on and off since then. We've kind of grown closer past like year or so, I'd say. When's the last time you talked to her? I saw her yesterday. Okay. That's why this is real shocking. What time did you see her? I think it was like 2.30. I went out of town too i don't even know what city with my mom for ikea and i saw her and claire before that at claire's house um tell me a little bit about becky she was i don't i that's she was so sweet to anyone that she met she always gave people a chance like she i can't imagine why people disliked her but in school she had a lot of problems with it with people disliking her and she had like she just she didn't fit in very well so she was kind of always picked out as sort of the oddball but she was 
she was always sweet. Like with us, we had fun with her. She was always energetic, screwing around, doing something crazy. I don't even know, off the wall. <laughs> she was just a different person. I don't know. Why do you think people then like her? Because she was different. Because she wasn't, she didn't fit into the profile that, that kids have to fit. In high school, there's so much, you know, stereotyping in what you are. And she didn't have a lot of money, so her family didn't, you know, act like they were real ritzy or anything. It was just more, like, low-down, kind of low-key people. You know, they didn't, they didn't cause drama. I don't, I don't know. People just picked her out to, to dislike. I can't really explain it. Okay. Um, other than money, how else was she different? Um, her attitude is more outgoing, more outspoken than most people. She wasn't afraid of anything. She didn't care. She talked back. She just she was very confident, I think, in herself. But people really tore her apart because of that, because they were probably, you know, jealous in what I see. But I don't know. Okay. Um, I mean, she was easygoing. She didn't. Have you ever been to her house? I have a couple times, yeah. Okay. Who does she live with? Um, her mom and her stepdad, I believe. Okay. How is her family life going, her relationship with her mom and stepdad? Um, I think it was well, going well, you know. I don't, I don't know for sure because sometimes she was able to manipulate the truth and we'd all hear different versions of her story, so she, she could have fibbed a little bit to all of us, so we don't really know. As far as we know, things were good. Okay. Or as far as I know. So she didn't talk negatively about her mm -mm. mom or stepdad? No. I think she may have been, you know, almost depressed, sort of. She could have had something mentally different going on, but I don't really know. I always understand that she was probably upset about a lot of things because she'd gone through a hard childhood from what I knew. Mm -hmm. I don't know any specifics, but I don't think she was necessarily always like 100 percent happy but i think she was trying to make the best of it um, but i don't think she disliked them did she have a current relationship with her her dad um i think she was doing good with him because i think she moved away for a little bit to go live with him that's what i knew about it and she was living with him and her stepmom and i think that things had been going better but that's just from what she told me i mean i didn't really know so much of some things that i heard i didn't know what to believe or not does she uh, work or anything? She worked at Denny's. How was that going for Um, I don't know. I think she was kind of unhappy with it. I don't think she wanted to stay there. But I think it was like everything else. She's trying to make the best of the situation. Does she work a lot? I don't think so much anymore since she started going back to school. But before it was probably like four or five days or nights graveyard shift. Where is she going to school at? COD. Um, does she have any boyfriends? Um, the last boyfriend she had, I think they just broke up a little while ago. His name is Jacob. I don't know his last name. Okay. But the guy, the guy that went up to the mountains, I don't know if you were up there, our friend Javi, that gave out our phone numbers, that's his cousin. So okay. you'd be able to get a hold of Jacob through him. What can you tell me about uh, Jacob? He was, he was awesome. He was really, really laid back, cool. We always just used to go and hang out and watch TV at his house. From what I know, they weren't dating very long. I'd only been to his house like four times or so, but they broke up recently. 
Why? I don't. I think it was her decision. She didn't really feel that they were connecting. It was just they needed to go on different paths. How serious was their relationship? I don't think it was very serious. I don't think they were in love. If that's what you, if that's how you take it, I think they were just kind of experimenting around, and you know, it didn't work out. How old is uh, Jacob? I don't know. To be honest, he was probably like 21, 22. Yeah. Did he work or anything? Yeah, I think he works um, at Time Warner Cable. Have you ever known Jacob to be a violent person? Not at all. From what I got from him, he was really laid back, comfortable, careless. Almost. You think he would be capable of something like this? I don't think he would have a reason to. I don't think that they were that attached. I mean, when when they, I heard that you guys thought it was like an arson thing or whatever, I can't imagine anyone that would want to burn their house down. I mean, I don't. I mean, I know she had her, you know, people that she didn't agree with, but I don't think it was ever that deep that anyone should want to. Although she split up with Jacob, did they still have a friendship? I believe so. They only broke up probably like a week ago, at least. Like it wasn't, but I don't, I don't think that there was any like uncommon ground. I think they both understood that it was equal, you know, they didn't need to be together. They were just going to try and experiment with other people, I guess. Does she have any other boyfriends? Um, I heard that her ex-boyfriend Robert was supposedly talking to her and I heard he wanted to go like hiking with her or something, and supposedly from what I've heard from friends, he wanted to go up there last night, but that's all that I know about him. I hadn't really been talking to Becky since she moved away to her dad's and moved back. That's when we started talking much, but I didn't. I started hanging out with her at the end of Robert. How long has she been back from her dad's? Um, probably a year and a half or so. I don't, I can't really say for sure. I don't know when she came back. We just fell into hanging out and I wasn't really documenting it at the time. So do you know Robert? No, I've never even met him. Who told you they were going to go hiking or something? Um, I heard from the person Javi that they were going, they're supposedly supposed to hike and a couple days ago I'd heard her say that Robert had called her again and wanted to hang out. Was Becky, um, was she a party girl or anything? Um, I wouldn't say party girl. She didn't go out all the time or anything. She wasn't crazy like some of the kids out here. I mean, she was definitely probably down for the, you know, fun or excitement of the party, but I don't think she really went out seeking the huge group of people. she used drugs at all? I don't think so. She might have smoked pot occasionally or anything, but I don't think anything really serious. Yeah. Um, did you ever go hiking with her? Mm -mm. Hiking's not really my thing. I've been up to the mountains for a little campfire at one of the little camping spots before, but that was pretty much it. Up where, where was that at? It's up in Pinion. It's 
close to her house. I don't know how to get there. That whole thing is confusing to me. Okay. I mean, these are but, actually campgrounds versus yeah. just yeah, it's some like of the land out by her house? Yeah, yeah, it's campsites. Oh, okay. Um, what does she typically do around her house? Um, it beats me, honestly. I don't know. That girl, she was, she's hard to figure out. I don't, I don't understand her, to be honest. Like, she's, she's different. <laughs> In the head, I don't know. Do you know of any enemies she would have? Not at all. Did she speak of her mom or stepdad having any enemies? Never to me. I mean, I, as far as I can, was concerned, her mom and stepdad only stayed at the house and her mom went to work. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know much about them at all. Um, does she ever talk about a problem in the neighborhood or what? Mm-mm. Any idea why or who could be involved with this? Not at all. It's completely mind-boggling to me. Like, I, I, I have no idea what anyone would if it, like, I, I don't know. <laughs> if there's one person out there in the world that you think could be responsible, do you know who that person would be? It could possibly have been Becky, for all I know. I, I don't know. What do you mean? She, like, I don't know. I thought it was probably an accident. or But I don't think she'd want to hurt anyone. Oh, but you mean Becky hurting? Her family or lighting the house on fire or however oh, okay. it happened. That's, I mean, I can't even... Do you think she's capable of that? I, I don't think she's actually capable of doing it. I think she might have thought about it in one crazy thought or hated something so much at a time, but I don't think she'd ever go through with anything like that. Hmm. She didn't seem to want to die when I talked to her. She seemed happy and she wanted to give life a chance. Now, who are her close friends? Claire, me. She hangs out with Javi a lot lately. Um, she knows random people a lot. I mean, when I hang out with her, it's pretty much me and her, me and her and Claire, because I have a very small, tight group of friends. And the other two girls, Samantha and Kristen, that we hang out with, they they associate with her, but they're not really good friends with her. And I mean, I don't know who she talks to, people at work. And Javi is the closest person that I know to her, but besides Claire. But she's known Claire forever. What's his story? He's just as in shock as we are. We called him to tell him about it. Because I think I was the first one that found out because my friend, um, her parents live up in the mountains. And so they called her because she's our age and told her about it. And she knows that I knew Becky. So she called me to tell me at like 7.30 this morning. And then I called Claire (laughs) because she's one of Becky's best friends. So I just went from there. What about... um Did Becky tell you anything about Friday, Friday night or Saturday night where Javier and maybe a friend of his or something was over at her house? Mm-mm. Did Javier spend the night over at her house? I don't know, honestly. I, um, they called me from her house one day. I couldn't remember what day it was, but they called me in the morning, but I thought that she said he spent the night at his friend's house up there. I don't know the friend's name that lives up there. Though. I mean, was it a long time ago, recently? Oh, yeah, it was recently, probably like a week or so ago, within the last week. Okay, but not this weekend? No, not that recent, no. Is there someone else uh, that 
that we should talk to that could give us some information? I don't know anyone that would know any information. I think we're all pretty clueless. I mean, I think Claire will probably tell you the same thing. We don't, I have no idea why anyone would want to let their house on fire. I mean, I don't have a clue. Not a person, not a reason, not any suspicion at all. Is uh, Becky a person who stays out all night? Um, since she works graveyard shifts, sometimes she'll be up late or she'll stay up and kind of hang out with friends before she goes to work because it starts at 10 or 11 or whatever time. And the what days off does she have? I don't know. They change a lot. I think she sometimes works on Saturday nights. She was supposed to work last night. Okay. I think it's more of probably weekend nights. So she usually works on Sunday night? Saturday night, yeah. Well, last night was I don't Sunday know if night. she works tonight, because I don't see her every single well, day. Well, last night was Sunday night. Last night. Oh, I'm sorry. I have my days all confused. Yeah, she was supposed to work last night then. Okay. Yeah. Anything else you can tell me? Mm-mm. I can't even think of anything. How long has she been working at uh, Denny's? Um, I'd probably say like the last like seven or eight months, maybe. I think she's been there a while. What's the deal with all those cars up there at their house? I have no idea. I know she drives the Scion, and that was her sister's car, but her sister is in Japan or something with the Army or Air Force. And the blue car, the Infinity, used to be hers, but she gave that to her mom when she got her sister's car. And I know of the purple van that was up there, they used to drive that, but it's broken down. And I think her stepdad drives some sort of truck. But those are the only cars that I know that they have. Um, how do they keep their house, you know, the inside, clean, dirty? It wasn't spotless, but it wasn't treacherous. I mean, it was, it was comfortable. You could tell it was lived in. I mean, there wasn't trash all over the ground. They kept, they were hygienic. The dishes were clean, you know, the kitchen was a nice area you could eat off the counters, like the living room, it wasn't really cluttered or anything that I remember, it was just pretty much just there. Everything, just a couch, the TV, and like a desk, like it wasn't too, too cluttered up or anything. Okay. Um, anything else you like that one? I don't have a clue. <laughs> okay. Did you have anything to do with this? Not at all. I'm in shock. I can't. I couldn't even find my way to Becky's house. Maybe he gave me a compass. I don't. I know that it's on Alpine Drive because of the movie Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> and that's that's all I could tell you. And that she lives up in Pinion. So how do you get there? I drive up the mountain. <laughs> no, I mean, if you were to go to her oh, house, she how would you get there? She would drive us because okay. she's the only one. Do you, you drive? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, you didn't come with Claire, right? You guys just ended up being here at the same time? So you, you last talked to Becky, uh, yesterday afternoon, Sunday, mm -hmm. um, and you guys were hanging out at Claire's, mm -hmm. um, what was the conversation? We were just hanging out. I was at the mall before that, and I bought Claire a little water fountain. 
because she likes them. So I brought it over there to give it to her, and that's that's what we were doing is just talking about, you know. She put the water fountain together, and we were just kind of hanging out. There was no specific thing. And then I told them I was going to Ikea, Ikea to get furniture with my mom. And she said that she was going to go home and then go to work. And I said bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Janelle gives us a lot of information to consider. She tells us that Becky wasn't super popular in school, but also that she did have a circle of very close, good friends that loved her. We also learned that she tended to bend the truth on occasion, and that she might have smoked a little pot. And I'll give you a little spoiler here just to avoid some confusion. Becky's other friend Claire does later tell police that Becky was a regular pot smoker. She smoked every day. So we also learn that Becky has been dating a guy named Jacob, who she thinks is around 21 years old and that Becky had broken up with him just very recently. Jacob is the cousin of Becky's very close friend, Javier. Then we find out that Becky's ex-boyfriend, Robert, had recently contacted her. Janelle says that she thinks it was around 2.30 p.m. when she saw Becky at Claire's house that day. She says they hung out, and then Becky told her that she was headed home, back up the mountain, and then going to work. This is our first real clue as to who the intended target was. If Becky was supposed to go to work that night, then that would mean that she wasn't supposed to be home at around 9.45 p.m. when Tim saw the fire. But then we have this twist, because Janelle says that Becky was planning to go hiking with her ex-boyfriend, Robert, that evening. But she didn't hear that from Becky herself. Remember, Becky just said she was going home and then going to work. She heard it from Javier. He told her that morning about the supposed hiking excursion. Next, I'm going to play a little bit of Claire's police interview. I have to warn you that the audio isn't great. It's a lot harder to hear than Janelle's was, so I'm not going to play a whole awful lot of it. There's about 10 minutes of it. In the beginning of the interview, the detective spends some time asking about Becky's pot use, and Claire shares that Becky smokes marijuana daily, and then she echoes a lot of the same information about Becky's personality that Janelle had shared. We're going to pick up the conversation here as Claire starts to break down her day with Becky. She's already explained to the officer at this point that on the day of the murders, she thinks Becky had gone to Javier's house after she got off work so she could sleep. Since she worked the graveyard shift at Denny's, oftentimes she'd be too tired when she got off to drive home, so she would crash down in the valley with either her or Javier. She says that that morning, Becky arrived at her house at around 11 a.m. We went to my house and then we left to go to Target. And that was the first time. I don't know what time it was, but we were back How long were we at Target? Probably about... 40 minutes. 40 minutes? Okay. Did, what, did you guys, like, buy stuff there, or did you just hang out? Uh, she bought me. Did you meet anybody else there? Uh, Holly came with us. No, no. I met us at Target. Okay, so what was he driving? He drives a Dodge 
So tell me about Robert a little bit. Was that the boyfriend she had before Jacob? Yeah, that's the Robert she had before Jacob. What was he like? Um, I didn't. I didn't. I had a. I didn't like him. Why? But for no no apparent reason, he just wasn't the type of person I usually hung out with. Okay. So I guess tell me more about that. Why? Um. I don't know when she was with her boyfriend, she was always with her boyfriend. We never hung out as groups. But I thought he was a little controlling of him a little bit. But she but she liked him a lot. She liked him a lot or liked him a lot? Liked him a lot. Liked him when they were together it was very and he liked her a lot too. Okay. You said controlling. Tell me more about that. Uh, he just didn't he was jealous at the end more. But at the beginning not at all. And he was a little more jealous, but then he, he broke it off, and they didn't talk much. Jealous of what? She She's very, she flirts a lot, but she doesn't mean to. That's just the way right. she is. She doesn't know she comes off that way, but she does. Right. So I'm sure it was that. Uh, the end. So uh, did he ever act on his jealousy or do anything? No. No? Did he? Uh, did she ever talk about him saying anything to her that scared her or anything like that? Um, did he like her hanging out with you and your friends? Um, I don't know how. He didn't like that she smoked. He didn't like that she smoked. What would he do when she smoked? Well, she didn't tell him, but when he asked her about it again, she said she did, and he just said that he didn't want to talk to her. Why did he break it off? I think because she smoked. Really? Yeah. And how long were they seeing each other? For a while. I think about it. Well, not a while, but for her. It was like a year. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, did you ever know any of this guy, Robert's other friends? No. Anybody he hung out with? He hung out with a guy named Christian, but that's all I know. That's all I know. I've never met him, never seen him. Tell me a little bit more about Jacob. Jacob, he's a very nice guy. I don't really, we would watch, um, he used to smoke and he did it at this time. He was taking a break, so, but me and Becky then we smoked and we watched TV show movies. Okay. And that's the only time I was over there. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he was always very nice, very inviting, and you know, Comparatively, him to Robert, were they similar or? Um, Robert's more of the like American. Jacob's Puerto Rican, very laid back, and okay. Robert's more of the all-American boy. Okay. <laughs> so Jacob is a Hispanic or Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. And um, and Robert's, I assume, Caucasian. Um, and did she ever have any other boyfriends or anything? Those were the only two that you know of? At that time. She went through one, I can't even begin to name them Do you know anybody who'd want to do this to? Not. No. I mean, a lot of people didn't like her, but not enough. You know, just for keeping distance and hang out with her. But not so much. If you had to speculate what happened, what would you think? It depends if, I mean, I would think she's very, she wouldn't. If, I would think that they all smoke at the house. 
her stepfather smoked marijuana as well. Her mom did not. So I just figured when I had a fire that one of them was smoking in the house, but she smoked and lost one of smoke started a fire. Her mom was a very deep sleeper. Very hard to wake her up. Very hard to wake her up. Right. And um, I just figured she came home and she would she would go in there and try to save him. Do you think it's possible it's an accident? Yeah. Okay. If um, if it wasn't an accident, if it turns out that it's not, then what would you think happened? I would have no. I wouldn't even begin. She ever talked to you about any problems in the family? Um, she got in fights with her sister often, but... How about her mom? Did she get along with her mom okay? She got along well with her mom. The other sisters didn't. Did not get along with mom? Right. But she has three other sisters, and one was in Equator, one in the Air Force, and one is a cop. Did she get along with her other sisters? Yes. Yes? Yes. Um, she get along with her dad? Yes. Did the boyfriend and mom get along? Yes. They did? Mm -hmm. Were there ever any problems or arguments or no. were there any weapons? Very accepting people. Very accepting. Were there any weapons in the house that you know of? Like um, but uh, it would seem that John was a kind of guy that seemed to have weapons in the house. I believe he could go hunting or something like that. Is there anybody that Becky had ever talked about having any concerns about ever? Did she say she ever met anybody on MySpace or got some weird email or? There was a, there's a girl that doesn't like her and she doesn't. But I just I I'm really my mind. <laughs> to be honest, I think it started with an S. Or what was last time this girl and her had contact? Well, they went to we went to Cathedral City High School for some of the years, and they didn't like each other there. And then they got a job the same place at Outback. How long was this? Uh, a few months, probably three months ago. Okay. But when they saw each other and they didn't like each other, they got rid of both of them. They didn't hire both of them because... Why don't they like each other? She was the other girl for me to That's the way a lot of people were. like it. And you don't remember the school thing? Did you pick her out of the yearbook? I, I've never even, I've never even seen her. Did she, she tell you about her? She talked about her. Did she yeah. ever write you about her on MySpace or anything like that? No. Okay. If you were in my shoes and you and you felt that you know, obviously we have to investigate this as something bad, but it could not be, you know. But we have to investigate it that way. If you were in my shoes and assuming it's not an accident, who would be the people that you would talk to first? Um. I would try Robert because he was, he was supposed to go. He hasn't contacted her in a long time, and the day before yesterday, she told me that he had called her. Just out of work? Right, and she hasn't talked to him at all. No contact. And then Javi said that she was supposed to hang out with him other than that yesterday, so probably All right. Claire gives us a little more clarity into Becky's timeline. Like Janelle had said, Becky had been hanging out at Claire's most of the day. They went to Target at some point where they ran into Javier, then they all went back to Claire's house. Claire was very specific that they returned to her house at 3.50 p.m. 
It sounded like in the interview that she was confirming that time with some sort of timestamp on her cell phone because she made it very clear it was 3.50 p.m. She said exactly earlier in the interview. So just like Janelle said, Becky told her that she was going home and then going to work. But Javier told her that Becky was supposed to meet her ex-boyfriend Robert that night to go hiking. And then we also get a little more insight into Robert from Claire. Now, many of you know that there was a 48 Hours episode done on this case a few years ago. It's about as accurate as those things always are. I wouldn't even mention it, except I think it's worth noting that right here we have just heard one huge discrepancy. If you've watched the episode, according to 48 Hours, Robert never got over Becky dumping him, which makes for a sexy story, but as you just heard, it was the other way around. Robert broke up with Becky months before her death because he didn't like that she smoked weed. So this is what we know about Becky's timeline. Sometime after 3.50 p.m., so let's say around 4 o'clock, she leaves Claire's house. Janelle and Javier are also there, and she tells them that she's going to go home and get cleaned up, and then she's going to work at Denny's. From Claire's house, driving normally, it would take about 45 minutes or so to get to Becky's, possibly even up to an hour depending on traffic. So it's safe to assume that she was home definitely by 5 p.m. We know that it was completely dark outside by 7.30 p.m. I've been up that hill at the crime scene on a moonless night, and it's a scary place. The darkness up there is thick. So I'm going to assume that if there was supposed to be a hiking trip, it would have been done and over with by the time it got dark. But what about work? Becky told all of her friends that she was supposed to go to work that night. And luckily for us, seven years after the murder, police finally decided that it might be important to interview the Denny's manager from that night. And listen to what he told the investigators. Now, from the night of the incident, she was due to, to work. Okay. She was doing tour. Uh, before she gets to, to work, she calls me. I remember now. She calls me and says, uh, Eddie, you know, because they call me Eddie. My middle name is Edward. Eddie, you know what? I forgot my shirt. I'm driving up back the hill to get my shirt. Okay. And now so I said, that fine. You know, that's fine. That was the night. That was the night of, I guess, the incident. Okay. The day of. Okay. Yeah. She was supposed to work what time? Uh, she was supposed to be there. It was a graveyard, so I know she was probably going to be there like at 8 or 9. 8 or 9, okay. In the evening, okay. Eddie confirms what Adele and Claire told police. Becky was supposed to be at work that night. Seven years later, Eddie can't remember the time that her shift began. He says it was either 8 p.m. or 9 p.m., or later in the interview, he even says it could have been as late as 11 p.m. But the start time isn't the most important part of what you just heard him say. Whether it was 8 or 9 or even 11, which I think is actually impossible, Becky had already started driving to work that night. This is 2006, so we have to assume that whether Becky called Eddie's cell phone or the phone at the restaurant, that there's caller ID means that he would know where she was calling from. But he did say that she called him directly, so I'm assuming it was his cell phone. But Becky called him and said that she forgot her shirt and had to drive back up the mountain to her house to get it. There's no way that she would have called from her home landline because Eddie would have seen where she was calling from. She couldn't have been halfway down the hill if he could see that she was in her living room. 
She had to have called from her cell phone, and there's no cell service in Pinion Pines. Or at least there wasn't any in 2006. Now you can get a very weak signal on a clear day, but back then it was nothing. In 2006, you couldn't get a cell signal until you made it about two-thirds of the way down Highway 74 towards the valley. So, sometime after it was dark outside, Becky got in her car and drove at least two-thirds of the way down into the valley before she realized she'd left her work shirt at home. She turned around and went back. Eddie expected her to be a little late because of the return trip. She never made it to Denny's that night. The only reason that Becky was at the house when those murders occurred was an absolute fluke. She was only there because she forgot her shirt. NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Mike Bussing and sound engineered by Shane Yoder. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. All of our fonts across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design, and you can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnick, Ginger Fiola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. And I can be found personally on all forms of social media at BobRuffTruth. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice.